Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for allowing us to gather together today on your Lord's Day and uh, take time to stop all the busyness of life and really rest and hear your word and be together as a community of faith that can um, be nourished by you and be refreshed by the, water, by the living waters of life that we have in Christ. So we pray today that we would have a, another fruitful time as we look at Paul, as he begins to defend his ministry, that we'd understand what he's doing and why, why that's so important for us today. And we pray that as we come to understand more and more of your gospel truth, that we would be able to apply it to our lives and live in light of the gospel. In your son's name we ask. Amen. So this is, today we're starting Paul's defense of his ministry. Last week and the week before, we just got into the introduction, some of the background. Just as a quick review, um, this letter he's writing to the church in Galatia, and he's writing specifically unlike other letters in the sense that he's kind of furious. He's mad and he's kind of really angry at what is going on in this church and what these Christians were doing to really neglect and forget all the things that he had taught them. And so there, this, this letter begins, and he's just going on the offensive, and he's really upset because all these Judaizers, these other teachers from Jerusalem, these Jewish leaders who maybe probably had a really good education, and they knew the Old Testament really well. And they were coming in and they were telling these Christians, these new Christians, that they didn't get everything down. That Paul didn't give them the full gospel message. That they needed something else to make them pure and holy before God. And so that's, so Paul writes, and he's writing probably his earliest letter, 15 to 20 years after Jesus died. And the church is already messing up. The church is already having human philosophies and human thinking enter into the church and messing up the gospel. So we, last week we talked about um, why Paul was justified in beginning his letter the way that he did, in thinking the things that he said and, and thinking about how we even do that today and adding to the gospel. Um, Today, if you guys open up your Bibles to Galatians 1, we'll be reading verses 10 through 24. So this is is a kind of an autobiographical section where Paul recounts some of his early experiences as a Christian, his conversion, and he kind of gives something like a testimony, but, but it's very for a very specific reason that he's giving this. And it's very much because these other teachers were coming in and attacking his credentials. And Paul has to give this defense because it's linked to the message that he's giving them. So that's a very specific reason. So let's read uh, verses 10 through 24. So, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
For I would have you know, brothers, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal me, reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So we see in this section um, that Paul appears to be refuting certain accounts of his conversion experience and what and where he got his message from. Um, as you looked at it, what kind of claims is Paul making here? What is he saying about where he got his message from? There's a couple things that he points out. Um, what do you guys think? Yes, yeah, so he got a revelation from Jesus Christ. He says he did not consult any man nor did he go up to Jerusalem. Why do you think that's important? Why would he say he didn't go up to Jerusalem? What's important about Jerusalem? The apostles were there. there. Exactly. That's where the first church began. That's where the early church started at Pentecost. So, yeah, so he received this as a revelation from Jesus Christ. He didn't go to the apostles. He didn't go to the early church. And he claims that he, where did he go for three years after, before he even went up to Jerusalem? Yeah, he went to Arabia, and then he went to Damascus after that. Um, so he is saying that he was not instructed in any way. And he didn't, he didn't go and receive an education in what the gospel message was. Um, he didn't go to headquarters, as it were, back in Jerusalem, where everything was kind of coming out of the New Testament early church. He didn't go there to receive his message. Um, and I think that's important because ultimately what he's saying is these Jews, these Judaizers, these false teachers were coming up and they were saying, I was educated at that seminary, as it were. Like there, I, was, I went to Jerusalem, I was over there and I got this message and I was trained in this and so they're coming into Galatia into this church and they're saying we have the further revelation that Paul 
is not offering. And Paul is like, I didn't, I didn't go there. I didn't even go there. I didn't, I didn't receive this from anyone. Um, and these leaders were coming in saying, Paul, he didn't give us, he didn't give you the whole story. You know, we, we talked with the original apostles and we got the whole story. This is, these are the things that you need to now do in order to be pleasing to God, in order to have your church life and yourselves be pleasing to God. Um, so Paul is just refuting this idea, saying that this gospel message came through reflection or reasoning or thinking about it. Um, he recounts and goes through this, his prior to his conversion, what was going on. Um, so what did he say that he was doing before he became a Christian? He was persecuting the church. He was hostile to Christianity. He was intensely hostile. Um, there was no evolution of his thought process where he was formulating it and discussing it with people, um, presenting it with interactions or anything like that. Paul points out that there was no way that he got his Christian message from his own thinking. Um, yes? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. No, that's, that's, I mean, I think that they would have instantly thought of those kind of things, like that he was receiving it from the mediator of the covenant, just like Moses was the mediator of the covenant. Paul is now receiving that from the Lord. And that's a great, great point. So he's not going through all these intermediaries. He's not going through these teachers, which I think is very similar to even what Jesus says in his ministry. Um, he taught with authority, and everyone was like was was stunned by the things that he was saying, right? Um, because he wasn't going through this huge tradition of all these leaders and Jewish writers of that time period, but he spoke with that authority of the gospel. Um, that's a great point. So Paul isn't going through the schools to figure out this gospel message. He's someone who was violently opposing Christianity and Christ himself. No one could get near him to witness to him. Like no one was going to go up and like talk, start talking to him. If you guys remember the, the whole story in the book of Acts, like he was there at the first martyr, Stephen's, death, and he was holding the cloaks of everyone, and he was going around, and he had authority from the Jewish synagogues to go around and basically stamp out and murder anyone who was a Christian, bringing them to court and to trial, and through a kangaroo court with false witnesses that they would have set up, they would just accuse them and put them to death. And that was what they were attempting, he was attempting to do. Um... So his experience was a complete 180. There was, no, there was no sense that what he was doing was receiving a message and like thinking about like how he was going to change it. And how he was, No, there was like no time for that. He just instantly received this revelation and it laid him on his back, literally. 
He was thrown off his horse. The people were there with him. They recognized somebody was with him. This wasn't just an internal psychological experience by some drug. No, he was directly confronted with the living Lord, and he was given this gospel message that he had no chance to change or think about in this way. So he received this directly from Jesus. Um, Paul shows that while he did not get his gospel either from his own reason or instruction by any church leader or the apostles, nevertheless, he did go out and check out his message with the other apostles. So he did eventually, after going to Arabia and these other places, he went and talked with Cephas, which is Peter, uh, another name for Peter. He went and talked with them, and he found that they had all received the same message directly from Jesus. So that's pretty important. Um, Even though he got his message directly from Jesus, there was a recognition by all the other apostles that this person was set aside by the Lord himself, and his message was the same. So there was no difference. There was no difference between what they were saying. Um, Jesus was directly and individually calling him to do this specific thing. And all the other apostles recognized that that was what was happening. Um, He didn't receive his commission or his message from the apostles, but it did square with it. It wasn't wasn't different. Um, So Paul's account of his own experience is eliminating all the claims that all these other teachers are coming in and saying, well, we have the real message from the other apostles. He's just like totally trying to undermine that entire idea. Um, Paul's message wasn't just his. It wasn't just this radical free grace that had to be, you know, tempered with some laws. Um, So Paul's account doesn't just establish his authority as a teacher of the gospel. It also illustrates some aspects of what the gospel actually is. Um, what What in the passages that we read can we see exactly what the gospel message is and how he was converted? If you want to look back verses 10 to 24... There's some, there's some clues in there that he actually continually spatters throughout that, showing, him, showing us what the gospel actually is. Um, we can see like that what was, what was he doing? His whole life was dedicated to what before he became a Christian? His whole life was dedicated to Jewish traditions and customs and living scrupulously and zealously for the religion that he thought was true, right? But what, what, what was the result of that? It wasn't living a life of freedom in the Lord and out of love and charity. He went around in his religious scruples, and it, and it caused him to have hatred and anger and go out and murder people. 
Like that's that's very different, isn't it? Like that's not freedom. That's not that's not showing that he's actually living for the Lord, but he was scrupulously living out of these traditions. And what do you say that he in verse fourteen? He was advancing in Judaism beyond anyone his own age, among his own people. He was so extremely zealous for the tradition of his fathers. Um, why do you think that that's important as he's talking to the Galatians who are being infiltrated by the Judaizers? By these people who were from Jerusalem? Yes. Yeah. So why, why would that be? Why would they think that that? Why was that for Paul? Actually, part of his refuting what they're doing. He's at a higher level. Yeah. He's he's coming in and he's saying everything that they're trying to say, everything that they're trying to do. I did a million times better. Like I was the best of the best of the best with honors. You know, like. And he was like the Navy SEAL of the Jewish tradition, he's saying. He had the doctorate. He went and studied under Gamaliel. He studied under the Einstein of his day. And he was just like the best and the brightest. And he studied Greek and Roman wisdom and philosophy. And he studied the Jewish laws par excellence. Like he was the top of his class and was doing it. Like in everyone's mind, he was the one who was doing it. And... It didn't lead to true freedom and actually being right with God. That's the, that's the ironic thing. That's the thing he's like, he's kind of pointing out. He's like, none of these things made him right with God. That's scary. That's, a, that's like an interesting thing is like, he was the best and the brightest and none of those things made him right with God. Um, and so he's offering that to them, saying, look, this is who I was. What you guys are just doing badly, I was doing better. <laughs> what you guys are trying to do in being religious and following all these new ceremonial laws, I was the best at. Um, these people who are trying to pervert the gospel and make these Gentile Christians basically like baptized and somewhat baptizing and bringing in all those Jewish traditions into Christianity, um, whether it was the Mosaic laws of diet and dress and circumcision. Um, Paul's account is saying, I've already done that. I've already been there. And that leads to a dead end. So he's already telling us really what the gospel is in his, his own message. He's saying like that, that does not make you right with God. Those things have no power to cover our shame, to cover our guilt before God. Those things have no power to make us clean and holy, and they don't have, give us any power to fight temptation or this radical hatred of God and others that is in everyone's hearts. Like at the end of the day, like it takes a radical, radical act of God's grace to change us so that we no longer hate God and our neighbor by nature. Um, and all of the human religions in this world can't change that reality. Um, 
So that, that's what, one of the things that he's really pointing out, that, that Paul was so filled with pride in his Jewish traditions. So he was fo- so filled with pride over his religion, over being scrupulous about all these different things, that it filled him with hatred. Um, so that he would go out and kill people. And that's just like, I think, a huge warning to everyone. Like, if our religion is making us do that, where we, we're just filled with pride and we're filled with this like hostility toward those who do disagree with us, that's like a huge sign that he's saying, don't go down that road. I've already done this. This is not what grace in the gospel looks like. Um, But it also shows us something amazing as well. That God's grace could meet someone like that. Like It's like he's saying, this is how evil I was following my religion down to the scruples, down to the last coat. And he's saying, but even then, like I was murdering God's people, not just verbally, not just on Facebook or social media, but I was literally killing them. And yet God's grace could meet me. That's like amazing. He's saying that, that God, his grace is so powerful that even though I was hurting Jesus Christ himself, I was, I was violating Jesus Christ and his body, like God's grace reached me. That's remarkable. So he's saying say like, that's the gospel right out there in the front. He's just saying that that is... He was so religiously good, but morally evil. And yet, even, even that, God's grace is still greater than all that sin, um, than all his religiosity. Even though he tried to destroy God and hated the real God and thought God, in some sense, was this Scrooge in heaven that he just had to like, God was out for his pound of flesh, and I have to be good because he's just he's this evil dictator up there who wants me to be miserable and unhappy and follow all these laws and rules. Ultimately, that, that whole system of how we think about religion is, is, is a sign that we really don't believe God is good and we, that we actually kind of hate God. And even all, the, all that stuff is in our heart, Paul is saying God's grace can reach us, even even in those extreme cases. Um, no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor is anyone so bad that they can't receive that same grace. So Paul is showing this most vivid way how the gospel calls us out of our natural religion, all of our natural human attempts to please God and appease Him. And He calls us out of all our human man-made religions, just as He calls us out of being maybe immoral or, or irreligious. They're, they're both, we, think, we both need to be saved out of both of those things. Um, Paul was deeply religious, but he needed the Gospel just as much as the thief on the cross, just as much as any one of us. And the Lord reached out and grabbed him. So, so how does Paul indicate, though, also that God's grace 
was working in his life before his conversion. Um, we often think of the conversion as the dramatic moment when God enters into people's lives. But in this passage, he also points out how God had been radically working in his life before that. What does he say that points that out? Yeah, he set me apart before I was born. So what do you think, like, just thinking about the things that we were saying about his life, about his education, all those kind of things, how do you think God was actively working through those things? Like, why would that, why was that something that he would even point out? Maybe thinking about your own lives. Maybe how, is, how, how did you see the Lord working in your life, maybe before your conversion, or if you grew up as a Christian, how he brought you to the place where you are now? Um, that's like kind of what Paul is kind of pointing out. Maybe God, is using, God used the trials and the suffering and all the things that you went through in your past to bring you to where you are now. Um, Paul is pointing out that, you know, he received the best education. He was the top of his field. And he was going out and doing all these amazing things for his faith. And it can be, we can easily just look at the conversion experience and think, oh, that was when God acted and really intervened when he was about to, go out and kill all these people. God stopped his enemy. Um, but Paul is saying that he, his whole life, in some sense, was being shaped and used by the Lord to eventually become the greatest preacher and apostle for the Gentiles. Like his whole life was leading up to that point. And God was forming and shaping and bringing everything into his life there was nothing that happened to him that was outside of God's control. <laughs> but all of those things God was using to work amazingly later on. And I think that that's, like, that's true of all of us, no matter what our experience has been, whether we had this dramatic conversion experience or we've never known a moment in our lives where we didn't believe. Um, all the things that God brings into our life, he's using and superintending and being, and he's providentially using to make us his instruments of grace and be his workmanship that we're created in Christ Jesus, that God is using our whole lives to speak his grace to others around us. And, and that's what Paul is showing out, that all his study, all the things that he was doing was preparing him to be this witness for the gospel. And that's really a major theme throughout the whole Bible, isn't it? Like that you see through the, throughout the entire Old Testament, where like with Joseph's brothers, um, Joseph tells his brothers that every effort that they made to tie, to tie, to bring Joseph down, God was using to deliver 
his entire people during this great famine. They used it for evil, and they were trying to advance themselves, but God was using it for good. Um, that God and his purposes, as we, as we heard last week in the sermon, God's strength and his purposes and his will are so complete, and he's so sovereign that he's able to use evil things for good purposes. And that, that's like that's the power of God's grace, is that he's using all of our brokenness, he's using all of our weaknesses, and he's shaping those things in our lives to bring us to becoming the beautiful masterpiece that he's creating in us to shine in the world of his his grace to those around us, wherever we're called to be. And that's a beautiful thing that the apostle is pointing out. Um, the gospel, in this sense, is giving us the spectacles or the glasses that we can see the world through. We can see our own lives. That none of this is wasted. None of the things that we've gone through in our lives are wasted. None of the things that we've experienced are wasted. But God is using those things. We can see, looking at the past, how God is providentially preparing us and using us even through our own failures and sins to really become vessels of His grace in this world. Um, We may not be doing something as dramatic as the Apostle Paul, where he's literally writing most of the New Testament and founding the the early church amongst all the Gentiles. But there's no person that we don't meet that's really ordinary. I think C.S. Lewis has that great phrase where he talks about there is no ordinary person that we ever meet. We're all bumping up against immortal beings, whether we marry them or have families or just work with or, or teach or children. We're all immortal beings that God has created and placed in each other's lives to, to speak His grace and His goodness and His eternal truth into each other's lives. Um, so there's no one, nothing, no job that's just ordinary in that sense. Like We're all instruments of God's eternal goodness and truth. Um, So, what happened to Paul, maybe in his conversion, that facilitated his growth as a believer and maybe equipped him for ministry? Um, If you want to look down in verses, where was it? In verses 15 and following, what did what did he do? That helped equip him, though. So he did receive this message from Jesus himself, but he went out and did something that helped him in his future ministry. In verse 17 specifically, we see this. He went out to Arabia. Why do you think that he would be there. Think of it like anyone who's going to prepare for a job, 
they usually go to school for a couple of years, right? They want to go to college and, and they want to go to do some special thing. They're going to go prepare for that. Um, why do you think that that is something that is really important maybe for all Christians as we think about this? Um, he, Paul went out and he specifically had solitary time with God. What, what does that mean for us? What do, we th- what do we think that means? That may be an abstract kind of question, but... <laughs> um, Paul, the apostle who had received this divine revelation, still thought that it was important to go out and have solitary time with the Lord. If you look at the life of Jesus himself, he would go out in the mornings and have solitary time to pray with his father. And he would meditate. And he would meditate on God's word. And Paul himself, after he had received this, um, it makes sense. Like he, he needed time to get that message down deep inside of him. I mean, this just kind of makes sense. People who go through, whether it's traumatic experiences or go through a really hard time in their lives, um, we need time to rest and recuperate. We need time to like get our equilibrium. And Paul, after being indoctrinated and indoctrinating other people in this message, he saw it was important to go out and get that message down deep inside of him. And make it a part of his life. Um, He was out there studying and reflecting and developing his own relationship with the Lord. Um, He was out there in this solitary time before he went out and did his ministry. I think that's like that's a huge thing. Like just as like people go to school for a couple years before they embark on a lifetime career. Or they get, you know, discipled in something, or vocational training, or mentored. Before they go out and do something, that's a totally different way of doing a job. Paul was doing the same thing. He was like, I need to meditate and study and look at the Bible again with fresh eyes. Um, and I think that's really important in our day, uh, because I think we are very pragmatic. We're very addicted to being busy. We're very addicted to our phones and just constantly being distracted by all these different things in life that we have no quiet time with the Lord. We we don't really like to set aside time to do that and where we can just stop and be silent with Him and meditate on His Word and really be in His presence. Um... I think that's really important because it's a, it's a totally different way of thinking about the Christian life than probably what he was used to doing. As we'll look at later on in the fruit of the Spirit and what it means to like when we get into the later act, act, end of the epistle, Paul is, is, is a very different way of looking at holiness and the Christian life. Prior to his conversion, you can just imagine like, 
It's by doing all these things. It's by being busy. It's by doing all these scrupulous things that Paul is saying he's advancing in his faith. He's advancing in his religion. But Christianity comes and actually like, no, you're not going to actually really... That's not really how you grow. Um, you're not going to grow in likeness to Jesus by just trying to, to be like him harder. He's saying, like, no, you actually need to commune with Jesus to be like Jesus, as we're going to see later on. The only way that you're going to be like him is not by trying to be like him, in some sense, but by actually being with him. Do you see the difference? Um, the only way that we are starting to conform into his image is when we're spending time with him. And that's how we are slowly conformed into his image. So one, you're trying to like work on certain attributes and, and try to like have certain moral qualities. Where the other is saying he's spending quality time with the Lord and it's through that that we actually start reflecting him. And that's a big difference. Is like He's learning to rest and abide in Christ and to walk in the Spirit. And that's very different than trying to just clean ourselves up from the outside in. Um, and then another thing that we see in the in this section that's really important uh, is like we said earlier that he what did he do after that time in Arabia? Where did he go? He went to Damascus and then to Jerusalem and who did he meet? Yes, so he met James and Peter first. Why do you think that that's we mentioned before he was getting his message corroborated. He got his message to show that it's the same. But it also has a lot of other really important things to that. Um, he didn't go there to get his message, but he did go and showing that he was accountable and that he had unity with his church. He, had, he was accountable to these other apostles. He, he didn't get the message from them but he saw that it was important to go and be accountable to them and show that he was on the same page. Paul had to work at the unity of the church and demonstrate that his message squares with theirs. Um, how much more do we have that same responsibility if the Apostle Paul did that? I think that's like an interesting thing. Is like He went out of his way before he just went off into the ministry, he went and made sure that he was accountable to other people. And he went and made sure that he was on the same page as the other apostles. Um, and I think that's another way that shows that, like, as, as Americans, we like to kind of have a loner view of our faith, where it's just Jesus and us. Um, but even the apostle Paul... He holds all those things together. He had his quiet time and he had his all his this meditation with the Lord, but he also had this deep accountability. He was deeply rooted in the church, even though he was an apostle. That's pretty remarkable. Like he was he held all those things together. He had this unique ministry, this thing that he was doing, he was very zealous to do, but then he also saw how important it was to be connected with the church. 
to be connected with the community of the believers. Um, that was something that he said he worked at and that he thought is very important. And I think another thing that we see in verse 24, what happened as the result, like when he went and actually talked to them in verse 24, they all glorified God because of me. So he went out of his way to see that his ministry's point at the end of the day, like he wanted he wanted to edify all these other people and, and have his life lead others to glorify God. So not only did he in some sense like he had to he had to go away and start communing with Jesus personally. And then secondly, he had to commune with the Christians, with the church. But, and, and that's what led him to helping people glorify God. Um, we, we have to like, that's, that's an important order, I think. We, if, in order for the world to see that we're different, in order for the world to see the Christian message and the gospel shining through us and glorifying God correctly, we have to be, in some sense, gripped by the gospel message and communing with Jesus, with the church. And then that's, that's how it happens. It's that same movement for all of us. Is we're all, we all individually have to set aside that time to come to, be, come to church, hear His word proclaimed, be with other believers, have our hearts gripped by that, and it's only then that we can go out and, and then have other people say, wow, that's amazing, glory to God. Um, those Christian practices are just as vital to who we are as going out and doing. Um, I think that like one of the things that you see other churches attempt to do is they they really go out and try to make an like, impact on the community. And so sometimes they like, I've seen churches cancel church on Sunday and like we're having a community project day or things like that. And that's really what, that's really important so that the community can see that you're going out and doing good works and you're, you're sharing the gospel with people. Um, but the danger of that is that we no longer are doing the practices and doing the things that actually allow us to deeply commune with God, with Jesus, and really have the gospel get down into us deep. Um, and if we're not doing that, our, our good works aren't going to be glorifying God in the same way. We're not going to be doing it out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving to what he's done, but it's going to be put the, 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 the cart before the horse. Um, we need to dwell deeply with each other and with the Lord before going out and doing this ministry stuff. We have to come into church and become salty before we can be salt and light in the world. And that's kind of like what Paul is saying. is like we have to come and be come salty. And then we can go out and salt in the world. <laughs> um, does that make sense? Any questions or thoughts on those 
things that Paul is really trying to hammer out and how important those those things are in defending what he's doing. Um, and I think that there's some important things if you want to look at verses 10 and verses and then 22 to 24. I want to focus on those for a second. So it says, For am now am I... For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then 23 to 24, the only we're hearing it said that he who used to persecute us now, preaching the faith that he once, he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. What, what are the instant results that Paul mentions here that are the results of a gospel-changed life. Uh, we talked about glorifying God, but in verse 10 specifically, what is he saying that he's not trying to do anymore? Please man. Please man. Exactly. So winning approval of man. Man, that's a hard one, isn't it? Um, another way of saying it is a man-pleaser or doing things in the fear of man. That's all throughout the Proverbs, isn't it? Living according to the fear of man or being a people-pleaser or doing things with eye service. All these things are trying to describe a specific heart attitude, isn't it? What, what's the danger of trying to be a people-pleaser? Why is that problematic for the Christian life? Right. Right. And what what does that teach us about how we actually view our standing before God and others? Um, it's saying that in some sense people's opinion of us, we have to have a right standing with them, and that's more important than a right standing with the Lord. Um, Our fear of them, of people, is now the judgment seat of everything. And Paul is saying, if, if we're doing things out of fear of man, then we're not serving Christ. It's as simple as that. Um... And that is like something that we all have to work on. The gospel changed Paul's life so that he no longer wanted to do that, but that everyone would glorify God. Um, and in some sense, like when we are radically gripped with the fact that we are right with God because of what Christ alone has done, that actually is what it, that's the only thing that makes us fearless in that sense. Um, to be a servant of Christ, we don't need human approval. What can man do to me? Like we can say with Paul, he can destroy, man can destroy my body. But because I'm right with the Lord, that means I have eternity. So these small things that happen in my life that I am so afraid of what other people will think, in the long run of things, they mean, they mean nothing. Um, we will see later on that Cephas, that Peter, 
was being a man pleaser. He was he his whole ministry, he was going to these Gentiles, being a part of the community, and and saying, Oh yeah, we're all Christians, we're all on the same level. And then as we'll see, when the this party from the Judaizers, they would come along, Peter would get all scared and he would shrink back, and he would no longer be with the Gentiles and not eat with them. And, he, and then be like, okay, yeah, we need, to, we need to do this because he was afraid of these people's opinion. So Paul bringing this in now is really saying he's getting us ready. Like, you can't be afraid of people's opinions and serve the gospel at the same time. Because what ultimately happened? He's saying that what ultimately will happen is that you will ultimately compromise on the truth if you're afraid of people more than God, right? That's what he's saying. It's like, ultimately, the gospel has to free us from those things if we're going to be true to God's message, right? Um, Otherwise, as the proverb says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. It'll trip us up. What, what's the opposite of the fear of man in, throughout the Old Testament? The fear of God. Um, and that doesn't just mean to be frightened of him. That doesn't mean like we're... What's that? Reverence and respect, exactly. It's, it's having awe and reverence and seeing this wonder at God's beauty and his, in some sense, attraction to his greatness. It's, it's not this servile kind of fear of this horrible judge that's going to come after us, but it's, it's reverence and respect, and it's wonder, ultimately, that the Lord would come and save us, and He would be our God, and, he, and we would be His people. Um, and so the Gospel comes in and undermines that entire... Reality that we have to fear man, fear their approval or their disapproval. That that power has to be broken in our hearts. Um, otherwise, you're going to be devastated every single time you lose their pe- people's approval. If you feel like you're damned or lost by losing people's approval... That's a good sign that the fear of man has gripped our hearts. If you feel like it's the end of the world, like you can't go on, that really means that that idol of the fear of man is at the center of our hearts and not the love of of, of the Lord and the gospel. Um, I think we heard we heard about that, you know, like the fear of man when we were going through King Saul's life, when he was so afraid of public opinion that he just went and go ahead and sacrificed to the Lord before Samuel could get there. And that ultimately lost him, started, started the process of him losing the kingdom. And that eye service, that people pleasing, is ultimately what causes Peter to be out of step with the gospel. That's pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, 
But if the fear of man being a people pleaser is what happens in our hearts, it means that what we will do is constantly looking around, making sure um, certain people see us. I think that's really easy in our social media world to, to be people pleasers and, and looking out for eye service. I think it makes us even more heightened and aware that people are watching. You know, like everyone is watching us and we have to have the best looking life on Instagram. You know, um, but Paul is saying that the gospel destroys that. It destroys people pleasing and the fear of man because it makes us confident that we have the Lord's approval. It makes us confident that we have it. And that's the thing that matters at the end of the day. And what people think will be lost. It no longer matters. And we can go out on a limb and sacrifice that opinion, especially when they need the gospel. Like these, these people who are hurting and who are lost, like at the end of the day, who cares about what they think? Because if they need the gospel, we need to go out of our way to bring it to them. Even if it means that we lose a promotion at work or something or make it looks, makes us look like we're outcasts in society, that's the Lord has put people in our lives for that very reason. Um, and we can do that wisely and not on maybe on, on, our, on time or hours when we're clocked in. But ultimately, those are the things that we're called to do. The Lord has put people into our lives for that very reason, so that we can be vessels and witnesses to his goodness, his truth, and, and his gospel. Um, I think we have time for a little bit more. Uh, just wrapping up. So why do you think that, like, as we think about all these things, why, why, why did Paul share his testimony? Why was it so important that Paul shared his testimony with the Galatians? Was it because, like, he, his testimony was the thing that, like, he was trying to point to his testimony as the main attraction? No. Um, what was he trying to do with his testimony? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It made what he was saying credible because, like, he's saying the whole point of his testimony is, in some sense, to undermine the Jewish sect that's coming in and saying, you need to practice like this because he's saying, I already did that. I already went in that direction. Your message, the message that you're trying to hold on to doesn't work. But what is, what is he, what is, so then therefore what is he highlighting with his testimony? Um, right. He's showing Jesus as, as we, as we kind of just went down and we broke through verse by verse. Good answer. Um, the good Sunday school answer. We went through verse by verse just to like, to show that he wasn't just giving his testimony because he was giving his testimony. He wasn't sharing, 
the salacious details of his past life to like get a big audience. No, it was specifically for a specific reason to show how someone as depraved as him could be reached with the gospel, with, with grace. It was to show that someone like him who had gone to the very zenith of Old Testament Judaism and the laws, that that wasn't good enough to be right with God. Um, it wasn't to do it to boost his ego. He wasn't sharing his testimony for any of those reasons because he wanted to, to bring attraction or claim to himself, but because he was, he was kept pointing to the grace of God. The, before I was even born, the Lord set me aside. The grace of God intruded and broke into my life so that he could help these believers really see what matters. Because um, at the end of the day, if you, th- if you imagine the Judaizers giving their testimony, they would be like, oh yeah, Christ died for me, but then now look at all the things that I'm doing to get busy for Jesus. I- I've been circumcised, I'm doing all these rituals, I'm doing this and this and this. That's what's building me in the Christian faith. But Paul is, is doing the very opposite with his testimony. And what's attractive, what's beautiful, what's a good example for us as we even think about our testimonies is how we talk to people, is how he highlights again and again God's remarkable strength in his providence in his life. God's remarkable intervention and using those things to bring this gospel message to him. Um, so I think that we, we can we can really think about this like that and think about two things. Like um, Christianity, part of why it's actually appealing is that it's calling us all to pick up our cross and follow him and follow the Lord. That it that the Lord doesn't just want our actions or our religiosity. Um, he doesn't just want our minds, but he wants our whole, whole whole lives. He wants our entire persons. He wants everything, our cognitive, our experience, um, our church life, our work life, everything. He he is the Lord of all of those things. And the Christian commitment to that is comprehensive. And so while our our lives are not the gospel, they do adorn the things that we say as we point not to our righteousness, but how Christ is meeting us in our weakness again and again. Um, And so if we leave out those things that the Lord is really doing in our lives and His providence... We are giving an incomplete picture in some sense. So, so when we do talk to people, it is in some sense a great thing to talk about how the Lord is meeting us in our own weakness. Not how great we've been, not how awesome our Christian experience and joys are, but to, to tell people, like, I'm a broken, weary sinner, and I'm, and I'm not self-righteous like you might think. You know, Christians aren't these just like self-righteous people who are just in this holy huddle. No, it's like, no, I'm a Christian because I'm broken and I'm a sinner. 
and to tell people that, to make, make to let them know that you're human just like them and you go through ups and downs. We go through depression, we go through anxiety, we go through sorrow and heartbreak. But we also have this joy in the Lord so that we don't, we don't weep in vain. That is a powerful testimony that Paul himself is using for this church. Um, I guess we have to wrap up there. Any questions or thoughts before we end up in, in prayer? Any comments, rebukes, or rebuttals? Well, thank you all for coming. We will get into the, the real meat and get into more of his defense next week. Um, but let's pray as we close for today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for allowing us to look at Paul's testimony and his life and the things that you've done in his life to radically confront him with his sinfulness and his self-righteousness and intervene in his life because it really teaches us about our lives and how none of us are too sinful to be outside of your grace or too holy to not need your grace. We're all desperately needing it. We desperately need you, Lord. So we ask that you would allow us to commune more and more with you and commune with our Christian brothers and sisters so that we can go out and serve you and have people glorify you because of your grace in our lives. And it's in your son's name we ask. Amen.